You're listening to the Hairstylist Rising podcast. Here, we talk about creating a career you love. We go deep into mindset, marketing, business, and life as a hairstylist. I'm your host, Jody Brown, a hairstylist veteran turned branding and marketing mentor for ambitious, inspired beauty pros like you. On this podcast, we share the real stories of leaders within the beauty industry and actionable trainings that leave you with the tools and guidance that will inspire you to build your best life as a hairstylist. From branding, business, and marketing to mindset, life, and finding fulfillment, no topic is off limits here. Get ready to be educated and inspired. This is the Hairstylist Rising Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Hairstylist Rising Podcast. I am so thrilled to have my guest on the show today. Sophie is a hairdresser, salon owner, educator, product line founder. I'm sure that I'm. <laughs> this lady has got a lot on her plate, and she is going to talk to us today all about her journey rebranding and really finding herself. Welcome to the show. I am so thrilled to have you here. I'm so excited. I can't wait. Why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about your start in the beauty industry and how you really got to where you are today? Yeah, so I went in when I was 14 years old, mainly because my mum said I was really annoying and I had to go and get a job. So I started um, going in after school and um, Saturdays, and I remember coming home to my mum and being like, Mum, I've found my calling in life. I'm going to be a hairdresser. And so my journey started then. Luckily, by the time I was 16, when I left school, I had already qualified. Um, so I was on the salon floor colouring hair from the age of 16. Not doing it very well, my I had, but I was. <laughs> and then kind of like about 1998, when I was about 18 years old, I decided to go retrain with Tony and Guy. Did all my specialist stuff with them worked my way up to uh, within Tony and Guy as a colorist and then after a little while I kind of got married moved around a couple of salons at that point then and basically had my children and by the time I'd had my son it, this was about um 20 Oh, 2010 this was when I had my son basically we, we were in the middle of a recession um, in the UK um, and things were going really badly and I'd stacked on loads of weight I was massive like I felt ugly and horrible I was knackered with my kids you know and um, just trying to work and make money and just trying to be everything to everyone really and the salon yes. I was at was a really cool salon really trendy one and I, mm -hmm. I just wasn't in that same space you know as I had been pre-children and it kind of ended up a bit sour and at that point then I literally was having to make a decision you know was, was I gonna do home hair you know like be a mobile hairdresser not that there's anything wrong with that but was it gonna yeah. go down that or was it gonna dig deep get balls deep and get stuck in so I chose the latter option <laughs> I lost loads of weight like I literally lost like five stone um, I did my Weller master's degree as well. And I, and I literally got the highest mark of the year on that. And then I rebranded myself as Colour Me Sophie. And so my um, sort of tagline, if you like, that's been going on now. Well, my, son, my son's 10, so yeah. must be like, yeah, about 10, 11, oh, but just about, about mm, 
about nine, ten years or so, approximately. You know, that's been in the making. And, um, you know, off the back of that, like I relaunched my whole career. I was doing social. People were traveling from all over the country to come and see me. Um, wow. You know, and, and off the back of all this, basically, I launched my, which yeah. is in a little village called Knoll in Solihull in the middle of England in the UK. And it's like, literally like a seven chair hair salon. So do that. And, and basically, like, with regards to branding and my ethos and stuff like that, like, I so wanted to give people all the opportunities I had to fight tooth and nail for like so all I was looking for with staff was they had that fire in their belly um, and be switched on to understand that they were their own superpower and I could do the rest so it wasn't about hair I had absolutely nothing to do about hair that's an English expression because all of that could be taught what I needed is is to have people that had that self-belief within them or for those who had it in them but possibly had it from other salons being horrible to them yes yeah and just having that mentor that significant motivational maybe possibly inspirational sometimes person that's consistent in order to get the best out of them and so I strive for this like I strive so hard um, to give all my staff the opportunities, the respect, the love, the nurturing. And then yeah. through my education that I do globally, like this also transpires into that. So all the feelings or the emotion I have behind what I'm like with my staff is what kind of cements and fuels um, my purpose within education, within hairdressing as well, you know, keeping it real. I love that. And I think that's something that so many people can relate to when you said, you know, having that passion knocked out of you almost. Yeah. I think every hairdresser that I know has had that experience where they've worked somewhere, they were treated poorly, and it just sucked out all of their inspiration. And, you know, sometimes it's the fuel that you need to just take off and sometimes sadly people just leave the industry it is sad and you know I love that there's because as I think that part of the reason we're seeing such a rise in say independent stylists is because of that but independence not for everybody so no it's really great that there are salon owners like yourself that are going out and being like you said it's not about technical skill all the time if you have someone who's passionate and wants to learn you can yeah. teach the technical oh, skill. oh yeah right? (laughs) And I love that you showcase your staff are also involved. They're also, you can really tell that there's that team culture. Yeah. So I think that's what's, what's missing in a lot of salons is that, you know, that feeling like that leader has your back. So if someone's listening to this and they're a salon owner, what's your advice? What would your top advice be for really nurturing your staff? What is, how does, what does that look like? At <laughs> I'm going to say it, but they're not going to bloody like it. Oh, this is going to be funny. So I always say my best advice I can give any leader or boss of any industry out there and of any team, whether you're a manager, you know, I always say like, first rule 
of great leadership is to understand that you are not the boss of them. They are the boss of you, okay? Number one, all right? So what I mean by that is that it's your job to make sure that they have everything they need to perform, okay? And it's that, that nurturing side of you that is going to get the best out of them so if they're struggling with time for example having a stupid meeting telling them to hurry up (laughs) is not productive okay (laughs) that is ridiculous and it happens all the time so the way of dealing that would be to work out what's slowing them down where's the blueprint yeah how how many times have you stopped Mm -hmm. and taken them through sectioning you know, yeah. so they've got they've got a blueprint of exactly how to do that partial foil in quick time. Yeah, that is so much more productive that. than being like, hurry up, hurry up, or you're too slow, or, you know, and I just really, really feel, it used to always be with hairdressing bosses, that they kind of had this hierarchy where they were very much like, you know, you should be glad to work for me. And yes. having that weirdo attitude where it's just not like that anymore. And people say it's the new generation and that there's something wrong with them. But I actually turned that on its head. There's nothing wrong with them. It's old school leadership that's the problem, yes. you know, and they just won't conform. And I don't blame them. It's so true, though, because, you know, there's so many different and this is actually something that I talk about with my team, like in my online business is that one of our values is is everyone is treated with equal respect. Your job yeah. title isn't somehow a precursor to how much respect that you get as a human mm-hmm. being. And I think that's something that I love seeing in the new generation of stylists. Yeah. I'm 32. So I came in, I think, on the end of that old school wave. Yeah. Like, I worked in the old school salons. My mom actually started in the hairdressing world when she was 11. So she did the same thing you did. She was in school in Sheffield. She bought that salon when she was 20, the one that she started at as a shampoo girl. So yes. she's been in the industry a long time. And so she's, we've kind of talked about this. And I think that's the one thing is that people, and if I were to give my younger self advice in the hair industry, I think I'd say, don't tolerate being treated like crap. Yes. <laughs> it, oh, it yes. Matter. Yeah, exactly. So I think that that's really important. And I love that you're unapologetic about just making that the new norm. Because I know you are involved in a lot of uh, UK industry, like community in the industry, right? So so do you think that salon owners as a whole are kind of leaning into this and embracing it as we move forward in the industry? Or do you think there's still a lot of resistance? Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, like so much resistance, you know, and it's re- it makes me really sad. It makes me so sad because mm-hmm. it just, you know, it just doesn't need to be that way. However, the salons, the salon owners who are embracing mm-hmm. and learning to work differently and learning to work on themselves are the ones that are going places because yeah. the, the stylists want to gravitate towards you know the salon which are being run that way so like my salon I don't actually anymore take on stylists who are already qualified so I grow all my own team however if I had a bigger salon 
and I was advertising for staff, I know I wouldn't have any any issues, in, oh, you no. know, because I've, I've, I've got now got this reputation, you know, for paying really high wages because on my staff, there's no ceiling on their earning potential. So that. there's no cap on it. So the more productive they are, the more money they get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't put a ceiling on it. I'm not a greedy boss either. You know, I just want everybody to be living their best Instagram life for real. And I, I feel like, yeah, I really, I think, really think if I had a bigger salon, I don't think now like I would have an issue because, because it's sort of got round, you know, that I'm fair, you know, I'm consistent. There's always something going on. We do loads of training. I'm really supportive, you know, and all the rest of it. So I think I, I have managed to almost brand that as well in a weird way, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, rightfully or wrongfully, I have. However, a lot of the other salons are struggling to retain staff. Their yep. staff are all going freelance. Yes. I see this in a lot of Facebook groups with stylists where a lot of salon owners will come on and say, there's no stylists that are willing to work. Yeah. Where's all the hairdressers? Like there's, there's just not any hairdressers anymore. And yeah. I always think like maybe you need to, if you're having trouble with staff, you need to switch it on its head and say, have I created a culture that people feel like they can't not be a part of? Yeah. And I think that's what you've done really right. And I can see that from, you know, 3,000 miles away on Instagram. And so I would think that for clients, because of that too, like that would also benefit when you are trying to attract clients into your business because people want to be a part of that culture. Massively. And our clients, right, what's really funny is our clients are all like literally from six no uh, younger than that 13 all the way up to like 78 yeah um but they're all women okay and it's mm-hmm. um, it's like a proper girl gang it's like you know being a girl's girl and yeah. having like girls nights in and it all being really funny and everyone's laughing and it's just sitting talking to each other and all the yeah. staff are talking to each other it's it's like a party you know, yes. um, all the time, whether there's one client in there or seven, you know, yeah. um, the atmosphere is just awesome. And it is like our home. And obviously, like, I think, like, you know, that saying, your vibe attracts your trust. Because obviously all the clients can see how well all the staff are treated and respected. Yeah. It, we get a lot of respect of clients and, and prospective clients as well, because they literally just want to be part of the movement. The sassy movement. And I love that you have just created something that is so unapologetically you. And, you know, by leaning into that, I talk about this all the time about how the easiest way to stay consistent is to just be real. Because if you're not putting on a show, then it's really easy to keep it up. So when you were rebranding, how did you find the courage to do that? Because I know a lot of people, that's almost the scariest thing is putting yourself out there for fear of judgment. So how did you, how did you lean into that? Oh God, this is embarrassing. Okay. So, right. So basically I developed like my own alter ego. So like Beyonce, she's got Sasha Fierce, right? Yeah. So to get on, and start twerking on stage in yeah. like hardly any clothes. She she turns into Sasha. Okay, so mm-hmm. obviously Sophie Bullivan is what my proper name is, and then yeah. the whole Sophie B thing is my alter ego. Yeah. 
So Sophie and Sophie B are the same person. Yeah. But Sophie B is more out there. She's more of an extrovert. And she doesn't she doesn't care what other people think, you know. Mm-hmm. She's large as life, bubbly, all those sorts of things. And so then if anybody's mean to me online being Sophie B, mm-hmm. then I see that that isn't actually me. That's just the character. That's yeah. like a caricature of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying it doesn't hurt and upset me because I'd be lying. However, it's a lot much more easy to be like, yeah, but that's Sophie B. That's not Sophie right. the mom and Sophie the wife. You know, that that is almost like my, um, like a salon floor persona, like right. that I've just put out into the world. See, and that's such an important distinction because... I talk about, we talk about personal branding a lot on this podcast. And I think that while you're like, I don't ever think you should be something you're not. I love that you say you have like, just kind of exaggerated a little bit and then separated your, your person from your personal brand. Yes. And this is something I have a lot of people ask me about too, because they're like, well, you know, you don't really post a lot, a ton about your personal life. And I'm like, no, because my personal life, like I, I post bits and pieces, Yeah. but you know, I think that it's totally okay to have a personal brand show up authentically, but also feel totally comfortable with putting up boundaries on what you share and what you don't share. Oh, 100% Josie, because like, I've just been on holiday and then mm-hmm. I went on this donut thing, you know, it pulls along by a boat, a boat oh, pulls yeah. the donut. Yeah. So I'm on that. And then I wasn't going to put anything on my social. And yeah. then I said to my husband, film this two second clip of me shouting, stay sassy as the boat yeah. is like pulling me on this donut. <laughs> so like, I think like, I just try and I do share little bits about yeah. my family and stuff. Um, and if I'm having a bad day or I'll get on there and be like, oh, you know, but I do like, there's so much more to me behind yeah. the scenes that I prefer not to share really, you know, and all my social media that's out there. I don't, I don't have a personal Instagram. I, mm-hmm. I have my salon account and I have my education and then on Facebook, I do have a personal one. Yeah. I don't share a lot on, I'm really quite guarded with what I'm putting out, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, so, I mean, everybody's got their own boundaries, but uh, the first thing I would say is in order to get comfortable, confidence you've got to be prepared to today what you weren't prepared to do yesterday in the sense of get your boundaries drawn up you know and learn and so I I couldn't talk to camera for ages Mm -hmm. and everybody's really shocked when I say that because they're like what are you on about you it took (laughs) ages and then somebody gave me some great advice Josie it was brilliant okay and what they said was they went okay so what you want to be doing is is when you're getting ready in the morning just film yourself getting ready talking through your routine you know when you do your makeup and stuff yes so like just be like oh what lipstick am I gonna put on today oh I fancy this mac one or whatever Um, (laughs) and then you basically get so used to just talking rubbish and and then you forget it's happening and it's not really to edit and watch back or it just gets you used to pressing the button and and then once you get good at that then you need to be going on your stories because it's only 15 seconds Mm -hmm. yeah and then once you practice that and then you're managing to get up to the minute you know on Instagram you hold that hold the button down on your stories you can do a minute can't you 
Um, yeah, absolutely. So then, then you go to a minute and then so forth, you know, and I think it's baby steps. But I think you never, ever get used to hearing your own voice. I hate my, my voice sounds so screechy. I hate it. But, you know, you never get used to that, really, I don't think. No, um, however, don't. it's going to become more normal by just getting stuck in, you know. Yeah. So I think I think that's good advice. That's such good advice. And honestly, like I will share too, like I, and I've shared this before, but at the beginning, I still would not go on camera without false lashes, full makeup, (laughs) everything, because that was what made me feel confident to show up. And I was like, you know what? I've just got it flex the muscle and that's the thing right and then I think that once the mindset shift that really helped me was I was like okay once I was focused more on what I was what the purpose of it was versus what I looked like now like I've made Instagram stories while I'm having my morning coffee while I'm still in my pajamas because now I'm like oh this information is good this is valuable this will help someone and once you can kind of switch that it becomes a lot easier. But I think at first, like you said, just do whatever you've got to do. Just push a bit and do what you've got to do to get comfortable. Um, Okay. I want to switch gears here. I really want to ask you about your product line because (laughs) I've seen it and I was automatically drawn to it because I love a good self-tanner and I was looking. And so I was wondering if you would mind sharing what the process of that looked like, because I've actually had a few people say, oh, one of my dreams in building my audience is one day I would love to have my own product line. So I'd love to hear a bit more about your journey on that. I kept coming up against loads of stop signs with it. Okay. So the real short version is, is when I looked into doing it, there was two different ways you could do it. So there was white label companies where you go to a company that's already formulated all the products and then you put your branding onto them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or there's, I've forgotten what you call it now. That's going to drive me crazy. It's white label. I'll think of it when I'm not thinking about it, but there's another way of doing it where you go to these companies and they do it from scratch. So, you know, mm-hmm. like when a celebrity does a perfume. Yes. Yeah, they will go to one of these companies and they will have everything. They'll do, you don't even need to do anything. They'll come up with the formulation. They'll come up with the name, the bottle, the, mm-hmm. the marketing. Yeah. But what I found the hard way um, was you needed to buy so many. So if you were going to do it all completely bespoke from scratch, yeah. We are talking hundreds of thousands of pounds. Wow. Yeah. Oh, hundreds of thousands of pounds. And then you would obviously have to get it passed through the UK standards mm-hmm. and stuff. You can't just do what you want. Like it all costs loads of money. Then there's a pattern and everything with it. Yes. Absolute nightmare. So there was this other company that did a mixture. And in the UK, it's called Options. So they did a mixture of white label. Um, I want to call it like brand label. I really I cannot, cannot believe I can't remember. It's like they, they do a mixture of the two. So so they do they, they can reformulate for you on site and do it bespoke. Or you can do a mixture of white label and that. You can sort of do a mixture. However, mm-hmm. the massive problem was, was that even though doing it the white label route was really cost effective and fairly cheap to do, you were going to have to come up with your own branding and, and marketing. It. So lucky for me, that's where my strength lies. Right. Okay. So I'm really, really good at thinking up names for things and stuff. Yeah. 
like that and probably like if I hadn't gone into hairdressing I legit would have gone into that like, yeah. like absolutely <laughs> love it like everyone's always like oh so can you think of a name for this like, you know, two seconds later yeah. you know coming up with 10 um, and um, and I ha- I was actually sitting on the name Product Junkie for three. I came up with the name Product Junkie when I was in the bath one night. Um, and then I went and bought the domain and then I didn't do anything, with, you know. And so when I, when I was looking into this, I was like, oh, my God, Product Junkie. Great. Love it. You know, trademarked it across all sectors in the UK so nobody else can have a lawnmower or anything like that. <laughs> so, yeah. And then I basically set about the brand. So in a really weird way, it happens really organically. So everything I stand for within the salon, thinking of our perfect avatar, yeah, everything mm-hmm. came from that. So each bottle has like a really funny quote on it that's just really silly, but it's in our luxury language, yeah. So right. like, for example, it goes on about your tan being like tantastic, yeah um you know each one has like a little a little something to make you smile something a bit tongue-in-cheek a bit cheeky a bit naughty (laughs) um and the directions on the back of the bottle speak as if I'm talking to you so it'd be something along the lines of do one shampoo huh you know it's like that (laughs) rather than the boring bits yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah exactly it's really funny and obviously we went for brand colors which is gray pink and white Mm-hmm. Um, and our logo is literally just a heart with Product Junkie written inside because on our Color Me Sophie B logo, there's like a Barbie heart above the eye. Oh, yeah. So when you look at that, when you look at Color Me Sophie B, you can tell they're like, like when they're all together, even though they all look like different sort of thing. And that's what I really, really wanted. But in the end, we went with a mix of white label products and, and like bespoke formulated products. But yeah, I mean, unless you've got hundreds of thousands of pounds, mm-hmm. you may not have a choice but to go with a white label. Comp- and did you find the process of like testing the products and all that kind of stuff? Because at the end of the day, all we do when we bring a line into the salon is, you know, figure out your best options. Did you find it even more difficult when you were going in and having to test all these like unlabeled products? Because when we bring an, in a salon, like a brand into the salon, all that marketing and labeling is obviously done. done. So you've yeah. got a preconceived notion. Was it difficult to choose products without well, that? Well, the, the company we went with has won awards for a lot of their formulations. Mm-hmm. So there was maybe five things that we literally just went white label. Yeah, because it was yeah. so good right it was a yeah, no-brainer awesome. um, and then the other things we just thought about the the clients we have and their hair well, well, the only brand you carry in your salon apart from inner look oh that's um, awesome so- you've really leaned into everything in your business is so reflective of your branding and just your core values so thank you so much for sharing your journey and what oh, is the pleasure for what's next what's for next wow obviously like in the last lockdown um i launched killing me Sophie be pro which is my education channel and um, so you can find me oh you can follow our salon as well killing me Sophie b give us a shout out we love meeting our hairies all around the globe um and yes with the education company and um, really my, i suppose my signature thing is that i speak stylish 
you know, and you probably gathered that while you're listening to this podcast, you know, there's no flies on me and all I do um, is make people kind of realise their full potential. Mm -hmm. And I do digital classes, which you can just opt for a pre-record and I do one-to-one digital as well. And yeah, I absolutely just love it, you know, Um, and it's just great. It's so lovely to meet people all around the world who are just enjoying my education style Um, and we have a right good giggle I believe that well thank you so much for joining me today Sophie Thank you so much for listening in to another episode of the Hairstylist Rising podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you like, subscribe, and leave us a review. Be sure to check out our show notes for all of the links mentioned in today's episode. And if you want to get in touch with me and let me know what you're thinking, what you'd like to see on the podcast, or just share your favorite episode, send me a DM over on Instagram, either at Hairstylist Rising or at It's Jody Brown. I am so excited to see you back here, same place, same time next week. And until then, I am Jody Brown. I am your host and I'm signing off now. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast and we'll see you next week.